0: So today we're continuing to look at our series on prayer. Most of us here, I'm sure, would acknowledge the importance of prayer, but when you pray, what do you pray for? Who do you pray for? I want you to think about if God answered yes to all the prayers you prayed this week, what would happen? Would God's kingdom be advanced? Would other people's lives be changed? Or just your own? It all depends on who and what you were praying for. In our passage today that Retty read for us, Paul is in prison, and yet we find him praying not for himself, but for others. Part of living as a follower of Jesus is praying that others will live as followers of Jesus too. When Jesus is at the center of our lives, we want others to share in that same joy. And so like Paul, we should be praying for others, family, friends, people we know at church, at work, at school, we should be praying for them to become followers of Jesus. And once they become followers of Jesus, we should be praying for their spiritual growth. There are many, many things that we could be praying for one another. But the most important thing that we pray for is spiritual growth. We could have faith and we could have health and wealth and all the good things of this world. But what do any of those things matter if we're not growing stronger in our faith? Nothing is more important than our relationship with God. But even if we agree that we should be praying for each other's spiritual growth and for the growth of the church, the question is, do we? How often do we pray for one another and the church? (coughs) And when we do pray for one another, what's the primary focus of our prayers? What are the things that we focus on most often in our prayers for one another? Well, as we come to Colossians 1, we have the opportunity to listen in as Paul describes the way that he prays for the Colossians and what he's asking God to do in and through them. So our passage not only teaches us that we should pray for one another's spiritual growth, but it also tells us how to pray for each other's spiritual growth. And as we read Paul's prayer, it should encourage us to consider the types of prayers that we pray. It should encourage us to review the content of our prayers for our church and for each other. But before we consider the content of Paul's prayer, It's important to recognize Paul's commitment to prayer. In verse 9, Paul writes, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Who is the you? Well, it's the church in Colossae, yes. We know that because the book is called Colossians. And Paul says he's been praying for them since the day he heard of them. There had been a man called Epaphras who became a believer in Ephesus under Paul's preaching. He then went home to Colossae and started a church. But now he's with Paul in Rome in prison. And while there, Epaphras tells Paul how the Colossian Christians are doing. And when Paul hears about this young church, he starts praying and he didn't stop. So although Paul had never met this young church, he tells them that he has been praying for them without ceasing. And Paul teaches this constant approach to prayer elsewhere. In Romans 12, verse 12, Paul tells the congregation to be in constant prayer. In Ephesians 6, verse 18, Paul speaks of praying at all times in the spirit. In Colossians 4, verse 2, he speaks of continuing steadfastly in prayer. So here is Paul modelling the type of prayer for his fellow believers. Now, I don't know whether you've heard of St. Monica. Um, I don't think she's very well known And in fact, apparently she's famous for just one thing. For 32 years, she mourned and prayed for her godless, wayward son to be converted. And I'm sure that there were times over those 32 years where she felt as if God wasn't doing anything. And yet, do you know who her son was? St. Augustine. St. Augustine, one of the greatest church leaders ever. And I think that's just, it's such an encouragement to us about continuing to pray, even if we don't think, if we don't see God's answers immediately. It's an encouragement for us to follow Paul's example of consistent prayer. And so what's the application of looking at Paul's commitment to prayer for us? Well, if Paul was this committed to praying for a church who he had never met, how more should we be committed to praying for those around us? For those in our church who we see every week. It's not easy, but sometimes God wants to work in us. What's it going to take? Some mental space? sense of need. Think about the times that you've prayed for somebody who's seriously ill. Their condition is serious. You're praying around the clock. You have a feeling of desperation, of wanting God to work. We feel as if we can't afford to stop praying, but that's our reality too. each other we can't afford to stop praying for each other's spiritual growth prayer is for our survival and the survival of those around us but it's also relational God wants us to talk with him all the time our relationship with God is meant to be one of constant conversation much like we talk to our families and friends So prayer is relational, but it's not just vertical in that sense, it's also horizontal. We pray with others, we pray for others. A healthy family talks to each other, and we are a family. And a healthy family talks to God on behalf of each other. We need to fight for our own relationship with God, and for that of other believers. So what does Paul pray for the Colossians? Well, first, I want to say there's no way I can look at these words fully. We could spend weeks on them. But we can say that Paul is praying that Jesus would increasingly be everything for the believers in Colossae. That they would live like he is their everything in every way. And notice that Paul doesn't ask God for comfort and ease for these Christians. He doesn't ask God to give them rest and refreshment. He asks for something better. So let's look at the content of his prayer. The first part of Paul's prayer for the Colossians is a prayer for knowledge. Paul writes this in verse 9. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. But what does he mean when he asks for the knowledge of his will? Well, when Paul speaks about the will of God, he's referring to the general desires and expectations that God has for all people as revealed in his word. He's asking that they would know God's will as revealed in Scripture and that they would know what God desires and what pleases him. And Paul doesn't simply pray that the Colossians would know the will of God. He also wants them to be able to apply the will of God in their lives. This is the function of wisdom and understanding. In both their minds and their hearts, Paul wants them to know God what he wants, and how to live it out. And this is the same thing that God desires and expects for every believer, that we would know him, that we would seek to obey him in every way, and that we would grow in maturity. While Paul's first request is for knowledge, he doesn't desire knowledge for the sake of knowledge. In verse 10, Paul says he's praying for the Colossians to know God's will so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. So the second part of Paul's prayer is a prayer for worthy living. Paul's praying for the Colossians to know and understand the will of God so they can apply it and live lives worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in every way. But what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that we show our worth and then he approves of us. None of us is worthy. None of us can measure up. The gospel of Jesus is that Jesus alone is worthy. We can walk a worthy life only through Jesus's worthy life. If we trust in him, we can find approval. We don't work for approval, we work from it. We don't please God and then he accepts us. He accepts us in Jesus and therefore we want to please him. Paul's saying, let the knowledge of Jesus change your lives so that you live in a manner that fits with who you are in Jesus. So what are the characteristics of a worthy walk with God? And how do we please God? Well, Paul lists four things in his prayer. First, Paul prays that the church would be bearing fruit in every good work. God wants his children to do good works. These aren't works that earn salvation. They're works that demonstrate salvation. And the New Testament often uses the imagery of bearing fruit as a sign of health and growth. Those of us who are wor- walking a worthy life are those whose lives that should be marked by the fruit of good works. And some of these are listed in Galatians 522 to 23, which says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So Paul is praying for more and more of these fruit in their lives. Love, patience, faithfulness, and so on. And why fill up on these? Well, it's not just for our benefit. It's so these qualities will spill out of us and benefit those around us. Second, Paul prays that the church would be growing in the knowledge of God. Paul wants them to live lives that includes a growing knowledge of God. It's a virtuous cycle that he wants us to get caught up in. The only way we're ever going to be people who are fully pleasing to God is to give ourselves completely to knowing him. There's nothing that demands a higher priority than this. And the main way we grow in the knowledge of God is through studying his word, the Bible. That's where we gain this knowledge. Next, Paul prays that the church would be strengthened by God for endurance. Look at verse 11. Paul prays that the Colossians will be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. The Christian life, is really hard and it's really easy to give up or at least to go around grumbling. So Paul prays that the Colossians would have God's strength to persevere, to keep going, to keep trusting God and to keep rejoicing in him. He asks for the power of God in their lives. He asks for all power He asks for the glorious might of God to be seen in them. A life that's pleasing to God cannot be lived in our own strength. That strength must be supplied by God. It's only through God's power that it's possible to keep going. And finally Paul prays that the church would be thankful to God for his work of salvation. Look at verse 12. Paul prays that they would be giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. As Christians, we should live our lives giving thanks to God the Father for the gospel The more we grow as Christians, the more we should be blown away by what he has done for us in Jesus. Look at what's happening here. Paul starts off thanking God for what he's done. Now he's praying that the Colossians would thank God too. Our lives as followers of Jesus should be characterized by thanksgiving. So here's the point of the prayer. Paul is praying that Jesus would be everything to these Colossian Christians and that they would live a distinctive life that fits with it. Their fruit would show it. Their knowledge would reinforce it. Their perseverance would display it. Their thanksgiving would shout it. This is what Paul wants for the church. And so what's the application for us? of looking at the content of Paul's prayer. Well, Paul's prayer should cause us to think about both our commitment to praying as well as the content of our prayers. We need to be praying the same things that Paul prayed for the Colossians, for each other. We should want these things for ourselves, but also for our church family around us. Think about it. What do our prayers look like? Do we share the same priorities as Paul? Or do we find ourselves praying for health concerns all the time? Do we pray for God to get our brothers and sisters out of suffering? Do we focus mainly on earthly things, jobs, money, clothing, health? There's nothing wrong in praying for those things. But if they're the only things we pray for, it might mean that Jesus isn't the priority in our lives. Our prayers mirror the priorities in our lives. We might be in love with the things of this world. That might be why we don't pray or why we pray for the things that we do. If Jesus is our priority, then we should be praying for growth in him, for lives that display him, In us and those around us. As I said at the beginning, there are lots of things that we could be praying for each other. But there's nothing more important than praying for each other's spiritual growth. Than praying for the things in our passage this morning. So, please, when you're praying, pray for others more than yourself. And pray for spiritual growth more than anything else. I pray that these verses will change the way that we all pray. Let me close in prayer. Father God, we pray for our church and everyone in it. We ask that we would be filled with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Help us to have clarity from your word regarding your will for our lives. Help us to grow in wisdom and understanding. And help us to be filled with the knowledge of your will so we can walk in a manner worthy of you. God help us to live lives in a way that reflect your character and in a way that reflects the gospel by which we've all been saved. Father God, please fix our minds and hearts on you today. Help us to live lives for your pleasure, bearing fruit in every good work. Lord, we pray for good work to abound from our church. May we, your followers, bear much fruit through the good work of of our lives. And Father God, help us to be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might. We know that we are weak in and of ourselves and we need your strength. Lord, strengthen us for endurance and patience with joy. Lord, we pray especially for those who are facing difficulties and challenges right now. Lord, help them to endure with patience. Help them to endure with joy, giving thanks to you, Lord. Father God, we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus, your son. Amen. Amen.